Hey everybody, this is Morgan Hamer, the production manager at Seven Figure Flipping. Today's podcast is a recording of one of Bill's million dollar calls where he talks about taxes. He goes over entity structure, section 179 deductions, cost segregation, and bonus appreciation, and a ton of other valuable information all in this podcast, so you don't want to miss it. That's enough from me. Here's Bill. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. Taxes. My there's like thousands and thousands of pages of tax code. And I don't know, I haven't read them. Um, your CPA hasn't read them. Uh, 99.9% of the planet hasn't read them. Even the people that signed them didn't read them. But the it's it's an actual like playbook for, for how to win the game. And the cool thing is as entrepreneurs and real estate investors, we have the upper hand. It's really written for us primarily and a lot of the stuff that we do. Um, they wanna have entrepreneurs, because here's the thing. It's okay if you don't pay taxes because you're the business owner, right? You pay payroll taxes, you pay sales tax, you pay all these other taxes. So not paying income tax is not the end of the world. Like without us building businesses, there is no tax revenue at all. It just like doesn't exist. We, we drive a lot of the commerce, a lot of the tax, all that stuff. So it's designed for people like us that own businesses, run businesses and employ people um, and, and keep the marketplace going because uh, like that's how things work. Like if we keep the economy and money flowing, the economy's good. When money stops flowing, that's when we see recessions and downturns and stuff like that. So, um, so that's important to note. It's like, it's okay not to pay taxes. And I'm going to show you how I don't. And a few of the things that I use. So the first thing that I've talked about every single year is first thing is strategy. Like you have to have a tax strategy before the start of the next year. Okay. So we'll talk strategy today a lot, but it's probably going to help you for 2023. A lot of these strategies might not be able to be done right now today. Okay. So the second part is, is so their strategy, right? Tax strategy. And you gotta be thinking about that. The second part is actually like executing the plan throughout the year and maybe shifting and changing a little bit of that strategy and execution as as it comes to planning throughout the year. And then the third piece that I see is like last minute solutions to problems that were created throughout the year in December. Like we're gonna talk about, most of you have questions right now. Like, hey, I made more money than I thought, uh, or I don't wanna pay any taxes because I didn't set any money aside. So how do I solve this problem? And that's kind of where most entrepreneurs do is they just like, oh yeah, we'll deal with this later, later, later. And then December, 28th is coming and you're like, is the 29th and 30th a weekday where I can actually like wire money or do something or find an investment? And we kind of scurry at the last moment to try to offset that stuff. So those are the kind of three things that I look at and they're all important. Like I'm, I'm the same way as you right now. I'm like, oh, what can I do at the end of the year to make things better for me? And my tax burden and tax strategy. So hopefully you guys see that we got strategy. We got like executing the plan throughout the year and then last minute solutions to solve any of these problems that have come up. So, um, okay. I looked for a couple questions like ahead of time and I got a couple of like frequently asked questions that I'll answer along the way. Some of them were like, should we be taxed as an S corporation or an LLC or C corporation or, or, uh, you know, sole proprietor? Like, what does that look like? What's best for us? Um, is it better to kind of spend a bunch of money at the end of the year uh, to, to kind of reduce my tax burden, or should I not worry about that? Um, and then, uh, we make big chunks of money. Should I be holding money aside and what should I be doing with the big chunks of money that we make throughout the year? And then the last one was, um, can't someone just do this for me? Uh, like my CPA or somebody else, like, can't they just come up with my strategy or do I have to actually like research this and figure out strategies? So those are a couple of like the frequently asked questions that popped into my head and some of the help that I had along the way for this. So um, I'm going to hit some of those things and probably some of the other questions you guys have. Um, Some of you guys have been on this call the past few years with me. And some of you are, this is their first time. There are, these calls are like archived in our, um, in our membership site. So if you want to go back and listen to some of the tax million dollar calls where I may have gone deeper in some other strategies after this, I would encourage you to do that because there might be some other strategies that we don't cover or questions that were asked on that call that may have been missed here after this, but you're here. So get your questions answered today of the things that you need. So the first one 
that I'm going to talk about is real quick is entity structure. So entity structure are going to be very different for each of you. I don't really have like incredibly solid advice for you, but when I, when I look at structuring a new entity, so I've started a few new companies this year, I look at number one, my legal ramifications and impact. And then I look at my tax ramifications and impact. And I want you to separate those two. So uh, like, I'll give you an example. We bought the building that I'm sitting in. It's the event center that we have here in Nashville. Um, and we set it up like a, like a member owned LLC. So we had a limited liability corporation with multiple owners and it was an LLC. So this year I got hit with franchise and excise tax in the state of Tennessee because we were an LLC, even though we didn't make any money in this entity, my tax bill was like $8,000. So I paid $8,000 to own a building that didn't make revenue that we were reporting as tax to the state of Tennessee tax me for that. Now I have an option this year of transitioning that from a, an owner LLC to a like unregarded um, entity. I'll lose all of my uh, umbrella of anonymity in the legal realm, but I won't, I'll only pay a hundred dollars in franchise and excise tax. So that's what I now have to weigh of, am I okay with somebody slipping and falling here in the office and trying to sue me and going after my partners where really we don't have a lot of protection as an LLC already. You can find me and you can sue me and all that stuff. Um, or do I want to pay $8,000 again next year? So I'm probably not going to pay $8,000 again next year. And I'm going to protect myself another way with umbrella policies and larger insurance uh, premiums and things like that which might only increase my out-of-pocket expense by $1,000. So when you set it up, that's you should be talking to, you're just looking at the legal ramifications as well as the tax burden. So there's a couple ways that you guys can be taxed. And I'll just, the big difference is usually LLC or S corporation. And so a lot of people are like, should I be an S corporation? When Trump signed the tax bill is the first time that I started saying maybe not to people. Because there's this QBI. Have you guys heard of this? Qualified business income tax QBI. It's like a 20% pass through. So you have the amount of money that you made. And then they just basically take 20% of your income and like remove it if done right. And that, so a flow through entity used to pay for like all of that. But now you get 20% kind of, you know, depending on how you structure your tax comes off as an LLC or a flow through entity, like an LLC or a sole proprietor. And so what I used to say, it used to be almost automatic for me to tell an entrepreneur to be taxed as an S corporation. Now it's like uh, this entity, seven figure flipping is not an S corporation, but my blackjack real estate was. And I'll tell you the difference of why I set it up that way. It's because I paid myself a W2 income in blackjack. So the whole goal of an S corporation, just real quick, and I'm trying to keep it really high level is to pay yourself a, as little W-2 income as you can so that a reasonable salary for your position. So I would pay myself, if you paid your, so a lot of people try to pay themselves like 30 to $50,000 or something like that. So that your only real like self-employment tax is on that amount of money and the rest of it can flow through and not be taxed as high. So if you take distributions to the tune of $300,000 as an example, it's not taxed as high as that $50,000 that you pay yourself in W-2 because you're paying both sides of FICA. So you're paying Medicare and Social Security on both the employee and the employer side of that money that you pay yourself in W-2 income. So there's some, there's a, there's a calculation that can be done in potential. Like I would, if, so I talk to my CPA about this. I go into a meeting before the beginning of the year, right? Because right now is the time to have a conversation with them. Hey, what should we do for 2023? Because you can't go back and file as a as an S corporation for 2022 right now. You have to do that in the first like few months of the year. So if, unless you started your entity like a month or two ago, then you can go back and 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 change to S corporation for the, for the last year 2022. So I'm trying not to com uh, not to uh, confuse you guys and set it up and structure it that way is that you can build out a IR, like 401k, things like that based on it. So I structured my blackjack real estate, real estate company where I maxed out my 401k every single year to the tune of like, I think we put in like $260,000 a year between me and my wife for years. And you can do these mega Roth uh, 401ks 
and uh, and and set it up and structure it that way. So if you guys have questions, just drop them in the chat. And if I can hit them now, I will. If not, I'll come back to them. That's probably the best way to, to do this. So entity structure is, is like my first step anytime I start a new business. And I look and see how much money am I going to make in there? How am I going to distribute? Do I have partners? What kind of liability am I opening myself up to? And then it's a conversation with an attorney on the liability side and a tax accountant, uh, a CPA on the tax side. And those are like, they're kind of like at odds sometimes. And I have to just weigh, do I want more anonymity and legal protection? Do I want more um, tax strategy? And um, so how do you get around this self-employment tax rates for a non-S corporation? Um, so it, it kind of depends. So like, uh, I'll give you an example. Like my entity right now, this seven-figure flipping entity is an is a LLC. And then it's it's um, like a multi-member LLC. So everything just flows to a personal tax return. And I get I get my distributions paid to me throughout the year. I don't take a salary and I get it all on a K-1. So I get a K-1 partnership return and it comes to me. If I didn't get a K-1, I would just have flow through income. And here's, here's the deal for you guys. You, you are going to pay taxes on how much money your business makes, whether you take it out of your business or not. And that's what a lot of you don't understand. And that's the biggest problem. Let's say your company shows a net of $400,000 a year this year, right? On paper, you do your taxes and your LLC makes $400,000 a year, but you didn't pay yourself any money. That $400,000 a year, that $400,000 in net profit flows directly to your personal tax return as income. And you're paying for it. So when you guys are investing back in your business, and we're going to talk about this at the next event specifically, I am going to talk like how much you guys need to pay yourself, how you need to pull money out of your business. You're going to be taxed on that. And you're going to have to write a check for it. Because a lot of times what you're doing is you're going from flipping one house a year to flipping two houses or one house a month to two, then four. And you're reinvesting all this money back in your business, but you're not setting any aside for taxes. And at the end of the year, you're getting this bill that's like $150,000. You're like, wait, what is, wait a second. I didn't even pay myself any money. I don't actually have any money. The company made money, but I didn't actually see any, any profits. Anybody feel like that? Sometimes? Yeah, me too. Sometimes. But I got tired of it and I started figuring out how to either pay the tax or, or offset it and write off a lot more. So, so Brian, uh, to get around the self-employment tax rates for a non-S corporation, it, it's it's a challenge. Like you, you really can't. Um, the you can you can get that twenty percent off, right? It'll flow through to your typical return, and then you're seeing um, you're seeing this like uh, so. So I have to pay. Let's see. Let me let me back up a little bit. So my company, this company, I take a distribution. It comes onto my return right? And then I'm going to pay active income. You guys are all traders. You're traders, right? So in your business, you are actively buying and selling properties. You're classified as, as traders. It's all active income that's going to come through on your personal tax return. So what you want to try to do is you want to try to offset some of this stuff with large write-offs. So you actually don't pay tax at all on the income that comes through. So the way that I try to offset a lot of this stuff is just to have massive deductions that I write off in my personal return to the point where I get a loss, where I actually don't have to worry about if I'm getting taxed on, um, on my active income. And the cool thing is you can all, most likely you can all elect real estate professional status. And if you can, if you can elect real estate professional status, you can offset your active income with passive losses, which is the coup de gras of tax law right now. Like nobody else gets to do that. So anybody who invests in a syndication, as an example, or a rental property that has bonus depreciation, they can't, they can't harvest all those losses and write off their active income. So you guys can do that. So that's my advice to you, which you're going to hear all these strategies that I use to figure out how to amass tons of losses to offset any income that flows through from either an LLC election or an S, S corporation that's giving me active income on a W-2. I can, I can write off all of it, and most of you can too. And so if you're full-time or somebody else is full-time and you meet the requirements for real estate professional status, which you're all in the altitude group, you're pretty much all full-time. If any of you have W-2 income jobs, I would highly encourage you to make sure that your spouse 
If they don't have a full-time job, they are becoming a real estate professional status election because, and you're married finally jointly, you can both write it off. Okay. I'm going to move past this, but for you guys on entity structure, I'm going to highly encourage you to, this is where the strategy thing comes. This is where you strategize for 2023 and you look into, should I, should I change my election or not for the future? Okay. Now um, it's pretty much, those are pretty much future planning items that I have for you guys today to think about going into 2023. A lot of this stuff that I want to talk about today is we're in December and I want you to say, Hey, here's some things that I can do right now to offset my taxes. Probably why you guys are here. So um, the first one is, uh, and I've talked about it before. I talk about a lot of section 179 deductions. So I'm just going to kind of like check these things off as I go. Section 179 deduction. So a section 179 is like heavy equipment, vehicles, things like this that you can use for your business. Um, and you have a, uh, an opportunity to write this off as section 179. I think it goes up to about a million dollars in section 179. So uh, I, Spencer's on the call. I can see him. Him and I have been talking airplanes for a year or so. I know he's going out to buy an airplane now. Depending on the price of the airplane, it could be section 179 or it could be bonus depreciation, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And so a vehicle, like you could buy a large truck for your business. You could buy uh, maybe a tractor or like some of the, like a I don't know, some of you guys might need like skid steers or dump trucks, or if you have, you know, you got a, another construction company or a roofing company or something like that. Heavy equipment, big equipment, those kind of things. Like I bought a farm a year and a half ago and I bought an ATV and I bought a tractor and I bought all this equipment and I wrote all that stuff off in 100% bonus depreciation for what I paid for it, all off of my taxes in year one. And that offset a lot of active income for me. So my airplane is, is was too expensive to use section 179. So I used bonus depreciation to write off the entire purchase price of the plane. Right now I'm looking at a truck. I'm looking at a, a F-150 to replace my Tesla Model X. And so I'll give you the exact example because about four years ago, I talked about the Tesla Model X being a section 179 deduction. I wrote off like $130,000 of purchase price on that. And, and, but I only put $7,500 in. So I got 100% financing on it. I bought a Tesla Model X, 130 grand, maybe it was 120. It was uh, 100% financed by Wells Fargo through Tesla. So I didn't pay any out-of-pocket expenses to buy the, buy the car. I, I had to pay tax. $7,500 was the taxes to the state of Tennessee. So for $7,500, I got $130,000 right off on my taxes. My payment on the car is like $1,300 a month. So it's like a house mortgage payment. It I did the math. It took three and a half years for the IRS to get their money back via my pay down on the, on the loan. So three and a half years, it would take me at $1,400 a month to get back to the deduction that I had about $50,000 on my taxes. So in that time, I could take that $50,000 that I would have had to pay to the IRS, invest it in apartment syndication, and it's doubled or tripled since then. So now I have $150,000 that I would have given to the IRS, that's tripled, and I have a car, but now it's a depreciable asset, right? So my car went from $130,000 to about $65,000 or $70,000 now. So now when I, let's say I sell the Tesla this year, right? Sell it for 70. Now I have to pay depreciation recapture on the 70K, right? So I pay depreciation recapture on the 70,000, but I'm gonna buy an $80,000 truck and I'm gonna write all $80,000 off. You see what happened there? Now I used the vehicle for like four or five years. I liked it, I needed it. It's just, the, our vehicles are depreciable assets, but I used it as a tool about four years ago. I'm likely gonna sell it this year. I'll buy a truck and now I'll have a $10,000 extra in depreciation and I'll depreciate the truck in full. I'll either pay cash for the truck or I'll finance the truck. The cool thing is you can finance this stuff and get the depreciation. So most people would say, don't finance these things. I think it can be used as a tool and an asset if you know how to do it right. And just accepting the fact, I accepted the fact when I bought a $130,000 car that I'll always buy something that I can write off between 80 and $130,000 in the future. So there's some requirements of these vehicles. They have to be over 6,000 pounds. They have to be used pretty much 100% for business that first year. There's, there's a lot of other things that go into the section 179, but typical like large vehicles, things like that, where you're using for your business purposes and expenses, and you're not like, you know, taking your kids to daycare in it, those kind of things. 
um, this is the, the, the goal and purpose of these Section 179 deductions. So that's Section 179. Uh, if you have a construction company, there's a ton of different things that you can do in there, business assets, those kind of things. The cool thing that I look at when I when I buy something in, <laughs> Matt says you got to haul blackberries. That's right. I was hauling blackberries in my Tesla. You're right. So you take this, um, you take these assets, and you either figure out if they're full on business deductions or if you're going to use a Section 179 strategy like I did. So that's another one. So I'm just going to check that off. Section 179. It's highly valuable. This is something you could do right now. Um, so like I'm negotiating a couple of these F-150 uh, lightnings, these electrical lightnings all around the country. They were like $110,000, like $30,000 over MSRP. And now they're like MSRP or 5,000 over. So I'm willing to buy one of these now and look at them and, and you know, bring one of these in because I need it. And I'll, I'll just kind of swap out my, my car for that. So, um, so that's one that I'm looking at. The other one is I just wrote buying, um, buying depreciable assets. So buying things that you can depreciate. A lot of you guys don't know this, but you can actually depreciate businesses. So you can buy a business and you can actually depreciate it. So this business that I bought from Justin three and a half years ago, I'm depreciating it right now. So I bought, I bought it and I bought goodwill. Like I really didn't have any assets, any, any real like hard things. There wasn't a, um, uh, there wasn't like a, uh, an office building, anything like that, that we had. So it was just like goodwill in hopes that you guys would continue to pay your memberships. And I had like an email list and a couple of websites and things like that. So um, thinking about that, like what is something maybe that you could, that you could buy that you could add into your business to kind of, to grow it. It might be like Spencer and I have talked about, he's buying other companies and things like that to, to kind of vertically integrate what he's doing. So that's, that's a strategy. And the cool thing is you can own or finance a lot of these things. You don't have to pay all the money down. Um, there's a lot of people that are going to be struggling in business right now. And if you think about some of those things might be able to help you, there might be actually like some things I might talk about in the future, but there's like local Facebook groups for you that could really help you grow your local brand and your, and, and to market and advertise inside of there. There might be somebody tired of running the local RIA Facebook group or a local RIA or something like that, that, that could be a deal that you guys could strike together to kind of depreciate an asset like that. So now granted, sometimes you have to have money, but if you could figure out an owner finance strategy or a payoff strategy or a carve out plan where you can buy something and depreciate it. So I think about that a lot. Like what could I buy and depreciate? Um, the other one is uh, cost segregation and bonus depreciation. So like the next big one, this is the, the biggest strategy for me over the past few years is, is bonus depreciation and cost seg. So cost segregation is basically just looking at the asset that you have. It's a home. Usually for you guys, it'll be like your rental houses, a multifamily assets, something like that, where they take it and they say, all this stuff depreciates over 15 years, 39 years, different times. And they accelerate that depreciation to year one where you have smaller depreciation over the long term and much larger depreciation in the first year. And so they'll take a cost segregation and, and allow you to bonus depreciate things in the year that, um, that you're in. So for you guys, um, some of you have rental portfolios and things like that. So I would encourage you, if you're not bonus depreciation and using cost segregation in your rental portfolio, even single family homes, you have to, you guys got to do that. And you can do that retroactively. So if you have rental houses, now, if you're going to sell it like in six months, I, I don't know that I would necessarily do that, but if it's something where you're going to hold for a while, for a couple of years, I absolutely would reduce my tax burden now and kick that can down the road. I'm always like, how can I kick it down the road? Because I want to, I want to invest my money today. I don't want to spend my money with the IRS today. I want to invest my money today and I want it to grow. And then the IRS can get their money later. So that's how I think about everything that I do. So with that, we talked about pulling money out of your business. So what I've always done is I would pull money out and then decide whether I'm going to reinvest it back in the business or I'm going to go invest it in something that's going to give me a bigger return. And I want you guys to always think about that. I want you to think about where is all of your equity right now? How much equity is in your business? How much equity is in your houses, your rentals? How much equity is spread all over of your net worth? Where's your equity? And is your equity making you a high enough return where it is right now? Or would it be better suited somewhere else? So if you can pull equity out of your business, would you reinvest it back into your business right now? 
or would you invest it somewhere else? Is your business kicking off the best tax benefits? Is your business kicking off the best cash flow? Is it kicking off the best net worth growth? And these are the three biggest things that I look at. Cash flow, net worth growth, and tax benefits. And so what I've been doing is I take my a lot of my cash and I invest it in somebody else's syndications or our multifamily syndications to get depreciation. I don't get a lot of cash flow from that right now. That's okay because I don't need it. I'm getting it from my business. And I get net worth growth. So we've exited like 13 properties in the last couple of years. And so I've had, a, I, I, I'm somebody who's, who's been adding a lot of cash because I've been investing in a lot of multifamily buildings. I've depreciated, I've, I've reduced my tax burden to allow me to keep more of what I make. And then I call it burying it in my backyard. I go bury it in my backyard. So I'll go like put $50,000 in syndication. And I usually get around 40 to up to, I got 58, I have 58% write off on my investments in those syndications. And then somebody else is managing it. Like I'm not running it. I don't have to deal with it. It's out there making money when I'm sleeping and I can work on doing what I'm doing best. So we're going to work on getting your guys' financial house in order over the next couple months. It's like a big thing for me um, to figure out how this happens because I saw it in my eight-figure group recently that they need to be paying themselves a lot more money. They should Their bank accounts should be plussed up massively and they should be deciding where they're pointing their cash. So Hopefully this makes sense. Bonus depreciation is your friend. So right now you can invest in, I, I don't like money sitting around. I like my soldiers out working and I like to get a tax benefit from that. So I'm going to go invest $100,000 in a syndication. We just, we got one in Cleveland right now. I'm putting money in there and I'm getting about somewhere between 40 to 45% depreciation on it. So granted, I have to put $100,000 in, but I'm going to get 40 to $45,000 back on my taxes that's not going to go to the IRS because that money would go to the IRS. Right. So, and then it's going to go make a return. It's going to work when I sleep and I'm going to be able to go do what I do. So some of this stuff, you got to have some free cash for like that. That's a strategy that you're going to have to have capital in the bank to go invest. Um, the other way to get it is to, for you guys to use what you do really well and go buy a rental property, go buy a duplex, a triplex, a quad, go do those things. And, and then you're basically the general partner of the syndication. You buy it at a discount. You use somebody else's money to finance it. And then you rent it out and you bonus depreciate it. You get a cost segregation. You bonus depreciate that property and you get a write-off on your taxes. So you don't have to go find an 89 unit multifamily building. You don't need to have $100,000. You can go capture in all your Airbnbs. If you guys are, have Airbnbs, you're buying short-term rentals, midterm rentals, cost segregate, depreciate those things. Um, there's a KBB, um, uh, KB, uh, KBKB, KBKG.com. I'll have to look it up. I'll, I'll drop it in the chat here when we, when we get a break. I think it's KBKG.com. They do a, um, it's like $350, $450 for a property. It's not like five grand or seven grand or 10 grand like our multifamily buildings are to get a desktop cost segregation. Just make sure your CPA will allow you to use it. I think it's KBKG.com. Maybe somebody can back me up on that and drop it in the chat. Um, Brian asked, do you get the depreciation on a syndication just by being an investor? Yes, limited partners um, get the depreciation on the money that they invested in a syndication. So I'm a limited partner in a lot of multifamily syndications where I just invest my money passively. I'm not actually involved in the deal. So people send me deals. It looks good. I'll invest in it, maybe $50,000, $100,000. get, And I usually do that in my personal name instead of my 401k and my IRA because I get the passive losses in my personal name. If I do it in my IRA or my 401k, I have no depreciation against my IRA and 401k. So my IRA and 401k, the way I structure that is I like to make active income. That's why I do a lot of hard money loans and uh, transactional funding with you guys in my IRA and 401k because it's active income, but I'm not paying tax on it because it's all Roth money. And then I make my, um, my depreciable uh, uh, investments in my taxable account, the, the one that I have to pay tax on. So if I put $100,000 in, I get a $45,000 write-off against my taxes, as opposed to if I did it in my IRA or 401k, I wouldn't get that. Okay, kbkg.com, good. Okay, so uh, I have a long list still, but I'm gonna pause here and I realize, I'm gonna ask you guys a question real quick. Do you feel like I know more about taxes than you guys do? Okay. 
is, am I confusing some of you? So a lot of you are shaking your heads. Yes. Am I confusing you or, or going like way over your head? It's okay. If the answer is yes, I'm, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm asking you. Okay. So I'm going to challenge all of you guys to step up your game in your tax knowledge and strategy. I would love for you guys to understand more of this and ask more questions about it and take actual personal responsibility for your taxes. Because the question in the beginning of this call was the frequently asked question, can't somebody just do this for me? My CPA should, should do it, right? Like, or should I be finding out my own strategies? It's very rare that you can sit me in a room, like I've spent a lot of time studying this and, and understanding it because nobody, nobody cares about your money more than you. Your CPA doesn't. Your, your grandmother, your uncle, your brother, your sister, nobody, nobody does. You have to take responsibility of this. And I will train you. I will teach you. I will do these calls. Like I love talking about this. I'm the guy at a party that will talk taxes and money and how much is in your bank account and how much do you make and make everybody feel really awkward. Um, in fact, I was at Thanksgiving and my family was talking about uh, the election in Georgia. They're talking about the election in Georgia. I heard Herschel Walker's name. And this might be a little ridiculous and some of you guys are probably gonna hate me for it. But I was like, are you guys talking about football? And like, no, we're talking about the election in Georgia. My entire family, like aunts, uncles, cousins were sitting around a table and I was playing with the kids by the, by the, um, by the, the TV. And I was like, what does he have to do with Georgia? And they're like, you, you, you don't know what's going on in Georgia? I was like, apparently not. And they said, well, this is like this huge, like, battle going on in Georgia and all this stuff's happening. And I was like, well, I don't really watch the news. So like, you should care about what's going on with politics. And I said, okay, but like, I don't live in Georgia. I live in Tennessee. And so why would I know what's going on in Georgia? Like, can I control that? Can I do something about what's going on in Georgia other than complain and talk about nobody, by the way, that's at that table lived in Georgia, not a single person. I was like, I can't even vote there. I can't vote there. I can't control this. I can't like, I, what exactly are you expecting me to do? I said, what are we not supposed to talk about around the, the dinner table here? What are the things that we don't, aren't supposed to talk about? And they were like, uh, politics, uh, what'd they say? Money, sex, and religion. I said, all right, well, let me know when you talk about the other three and I'm going to go back and play with the kids right now because uh, I just, this is not something I can control. And so for you guys, like, like I want you guys to really care about your money, your keeping more money, and your tax strategy, because your CPA, like legitimately your CPA is not going to do it. And so since then, I, I always say like, I don't watch the news, but if it's important, somebody's going to tell me. So they told me, and then I looked into it. I saw what's going on. And uh, they've honestly been, I have a six, seven, eight Atlanta number. They've been texting me for the last like three weeks about this. I just delete it and don't read it. So, um, okay. So I think for you guys, my, my push to all of you is to take like personal risk. I'll, I'll continue to do these calls. I'll do classes on it. I'll do breakout sessions. I'll do whatever you guys need. But I, I want to encourage you and push you to, to, to grab more of this for yourself. Like really think about this and, and strategy, like your CPA will bring you some strategy. And I encourage you to have meetings with them right now. Like have a meeting with them now about 2023 strategy. And be like, hey, I heard about these 10 or 15 things. I'd like to implement some of these. What do you know about them? And that's like a full-on interview of, do I need to fire this person and find somebody new? Or... Um, because they're going to say like, oh, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Like, no, can't is not in my vocabulary. How can I do it? Or what's the reason why I, I, I shouldn't do it? You know? And so I want somebody who's open. To, your CPA should be open to new ideas, new strategies, and you bringing ideas to them without shooting you down. And if they don't know the answer, they shouldn't BS you about the answer. That's what I've seen a lot of CPAs do to me. Um, and so then I'll just move to somebody else. And the guy that I have now, he's really great. And he he's like, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out. And then we talk about it and we strategize on it. And then, and then we execute the plan throughout the year and we meet quarterly to talk about it. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know who asked this, but somebody asked, do I have any websites, books uh, that you recommend to learn more about tax strategy? My, my, my um, yeah, we, we are, we're actually going to have a tool for you guys. Uh, my CPA, came, uh, he was, a, he's at Flip Hacking Live and he's creating this thing called Teaching Tax Flow. He's creating like a actual, like, a training course and video uh, program and stuff like that. That's like incredibly cheap. That is more like self-development and training on a lot of these strategies, very short videos. I, I'm going to encourage you guys to go learn there. I think that's, I mean, him and I work really closely together. I, I don't, I, I have no, like, I have no dog in the fight for, that's not the purpose of this call uh, to like sell his stuff or anything like that. 
but we played uh, pickleball together last week and he's, um, he's getting ready to roll it out very soon and I'm excited for him. And I think it's going to be a really good product and I believe in him. Um, and there, there are some other books that I've read, but not a lot about tax. It's mostly like um, IRA, 401k, retirement accounts, things like that. And I just learned along the way. I did my taxes for, uh, until 2015, I did my taxes myself since I was like 18 years old. And I just, I just learned, I just, I was just like, man, I, I don't want to pay this. Like I'm, I want to, I want to understand what I'm doing and how I'm, how, what, how TurboTax works. And I would, I'd fill out TurboTax like five different ways to figure out how I can pay the least. And I would just start adjusting numbers and things like that. And I say, okay, can I get more to charity? What's the um, standard election uh, and stuff like that? Standard deduction. Kelly, uh, it's Chris Picuro. He was at uh, Flip Hacking Live, um, integrated, uh, integrated CPA group. So I'll, I'll drop when we send this out or drop in the Facebook group, we'll send out his, his contact information. If you guys want to get a hold of their group, um, he's got, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure he'll take on some of you guys for clients and stuff like that. Um, okay. You ready to keep going? We'll keep going for a little bit. I'll open up for questions like another 15 minutes or so. Um, I'm going to go pretty quickly through some of these, but um, income shifting is a, is a big thing for me. So uh, if you guys have kids or uh, people that are in lower tax brackets than you, um, figuring out how to income shift income to them. I would only encourage you to do this with your kids. I wouldn't encourage you to do it like brothers and sisters and cousins and stuff like that. But like, if you pay, you can pay your kids um, to do things um, in, in and around the business and your business can pay them and they don't, they don't pay a tax return basically. So really up to the standard deduction, which is really high right now, standard deduction is somewhere around like 15, five or $16,000 a year per person. So like you and a spouse are probably like 30,000 or $32,000 of standard deduction which is why I'm not giving you a bunch of advice of like paying two years of taxes and mortgage payments on your house to increase the deduction and, and, and like donating a ton to charity in your personal name and things like that anymore, because you got to get over $30,000 of write-offs just to start having it make sense. So Trump's tax bill did a lot for us. QBI was one of them. The other one was standard deductions going way up. So itemizing and stuff like that right now on personal returns, I don't even do it anymore. And I did that for like 15 years of or maybe 20 years of itemizing um, deductions. And so now I don't even need to itemize anymore. I really just try to run as many expenses through my company as possible, um, like donations and charity and stuff like that. And then that'll kind of flow back to my tax return. I just try to reduce my income in the business side um, as much as I can, uh, marketing expenses, business, stuff like that. Um, so paying kids, there's uh, there are some requirements, like here's some things that I would recommend if you're going to pay your kids is actually have them do some stuff. Or if they're little, like really figure out how to build a model contract. So like if you're putting them on postcards in your website and stuff like that, like I did when my kids were really young, um, I use the example all the time, like James's videos at Flip Hacking Live, his birthday's around October. So he's in the promo. We zoom him in. A lot of times we sing happy birthday to him. He's he's really like a promotional. I tell stories about him. We talk about my family. I talk about on the podcast, all that stuff. So if I, if I wanted to pay James in seven-figure flipping as an employee, I probably could, you know, at this point, because we use a lot of that stuff in our marketing and our sales messaging, those kind of things. And I can actually point to, hey, th this is a model. He's a real part of the company, even though he doesn't do very much. We use him and leverage him in, in his, his image and his message and all of these things to create sales. So I would have to prove that if the, if the IRS came to, to talk to me. Same thing for you guys. Um, what do your kids do? Do they have a contract? Are they being paid regularly? Or are you dropping a $15,000 one-time payment on December 30th in their bank account to try to catch up for what you didn't plan for for the year? Does that make sense? So um, if, if I was putting my kids on payroll for 2023, what I would do is I would write a contract, I'd make them W-2 employees, and I would just pay them every single week on payroll. Just like, just like I would any other employee of the company, they would have an actual contract. We would have some documented things. I'd give them, it, depending on what they're doing, um, there's expectations. I might, I might have some documentation of conversations that we had, meetings that we had, feedback, and, uh, quarterly reviews, monthly reviews, annual reviews, those kind of things. All the stuff that you don't want to hear about, like documenting and things. Um, and that as entrepreneurs, we just don't want to do that stuff, right? So thinking about like how you would structure that and what they're doing, and then you have to pay them a reasonable wage. So it's not like you can pay your kids like, you know, and, and you, again, you don't want to pay them too much because you start getting into um, the FICA and, and they're they're not able to write off, but they're in a very low tax bracket, right? And then what I do, so, so okay, so let's say, uh, so for years I paid my kids like 
you know, between 12 and $18,000 a year. And it was like weekly payments that went, went out to them. And then I, it went to their bank account. Okay. So they went to their own bank accounts, they had their own bank accounts. And then when I was paying their daycare, they paid their daycare. I didn't pay their daycare. It came out of their account. A daycare automatically gets paid by my kids. So Will pays for his own daycare with the amount of modeling and work that he did for my company when he was in daycare. James pays for his own daycare. So now I have tax-free daycare via their income that they made and they paid their daycare and I paid no taxes on that. So we shifted, let's say $15,000 from James, from what I was going to make in a potential 45% tax bracket, 39% tax bracket to a 0% tax bracket where your income, income shifting basically. So you're taking the money that you would make you're and giving to your kids and paying for all the stuff that they're doing. It might be like birthday gifts or, or whatever they want to buy. They want to buy some video games. They want to do all, all the stuff that you, ice cream. They want to buy ice cream once a week. That's fine. You buy it from your account. Tax-free. That's tax-free ice cream right there, buddy. And then, um, I mean, you take the dad and mom tax. When you get the ice cream, you take a bite and then you give it to them and teach them about taxes. But right now you're income shifting from you to them, right? And so that's what income shifting is as far as kids go. So um, no, uh, Brian, no, it doesn't. No, uh, Brian asked, W2 requires an S structure, correct? Like an S corporation. No, like we're an LLC right here at seven figure flipping and I have like 21 W2 employees. So you don't have to be an S corporation to have W to be, to be paying W2 incomes to people. No, definitely not. Um, you can sole proprietor. I'm a sole proprietor over at my farm and I pay W2 income from the farm. Like I have W2 employees. Your election is strictly designed in that company for you. Now, what I talked about was you paying yourself the benefit of an S corporation is if you pay yourself a reasonable wage, anything on top of your W-2 income will flow to you as uh, avoiding the, um, the employer, employer, employer portion of FICA. So Medicare and Social Security on the employer side, you won't have to pay the employer side of that money that transfers over to you. So you'll save like seven and a half percent on the money that you make above that. Don't even get me started in Medicare and Social Security. We don't have time for that, but um, we're paying into it and I don't think it'll be around when uh, when we start needing it. So um, we're paying the debt. There will be some talk about that because the government is completely bankrupt and uh, the tax dollars are not paying for the debt. And so uh, we'll talk about that later. All right. So income shifting. Uh, I'm going to real quick, I want to touch on something called R&D credits. So R&D credits are something that I don't think any of you will really qualify for. But if maybe Spencer, you might qualify for some R&D credits, some of the stuff that you're doing, uh, research and development credit. Um, if you're doing some like really elaborate, like um, software or something like that, that's really um, like, and you're dumping a lot of money into it, you got a lot of people working on it and it's it's more uh, like developmental and new, uh, there might be a, a something for you on an R&D credit um, there. So, so Christine said money paid to children shouldn't go straight from the S corporation. And um, that, that conversation um, is a little bit more detailed. I'll, I'll touch on it really quick. But um, there's a lot of different things that can be done in there. Like you can create like a family entity and to, to avoid the uh, like FICA, like Medicare and social, you're still going to have to pay some taxes, some small taxes on the income if it comes from the S corporation. And I just accepted that to reduce complexity of the whole equation. So to, it, it can move from like that to a family plan that again, then like distribute to the family. There's different ways that you can take that money from an S corporation to pay to the kids or family to avoid some other tax. So I like, I probably had to pay like 500 or a thousand dollars of money to the IRS from the kids income that I would have to pay to other employees anyway, but it was, it reduced complexity to me. One thing I didn't talk about in the entity structure is my goal has always been to reduce complexity for me too. There's, there's, there's like, okay. I mean, okay. Let's look at like every, you got 20 rental properties, right? You can put every single rental property in an LLC, and then you can have like a parent LLC that that controls that those LLCs, and then you can have you on top of that where you're all like avoided in all of the 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 problems for all the stuff, right? Like all the liability in there, and it protect you. And, but then I got to do like tax returns for every one of these LLCs. I got to do a tax return for my parent entity, and, and it's all structured like that. I'm holding company. I have lots of different entities and all that stuff. So complexity gets to a point where it's, okay, let me weigh the cost of complexity versus the cost of what's actually potentially like really going to happen. 
like the liability and the tax benefits from all of it. Right. So that's where I'm talking about weighing like liability and taxes and, and also complexity. So a lot of times I'm kind of like, I just kind of want to make some things easy for me and I'm willing to accept a little risk and I'll protect myself in a different way with like an umbrella policy or something like this. So in this case, I'm willing to pay like 500 or $1,000 to not set up a holding parent company for a family plan that would then distribute to save tax money. So that's that's just like kind of my structure on that. Um, no, uh, Kelly, I, I pay my kids a uh, W-2 employee uh, as W-2 staff. Um, because now if you talk about 1099 and W-2, we're getting into a different conversation, which is like, um, what defines a, a 1099 employee, a person, a contractor, and what de what, what defines a W-2 employee? Uh, if you're telling people where to be, you're giving them assets. Like I, what my kids were models because they were little, like my son had an IRA when he was born. And then for like three years, he filled up his IRA as getting paid from the company. We would send him on postcards or on all the websites, all the conversion events, everything that we did. Um, and so I, I would tell them where to be, what to do, all this stuff. They weren't contract. He wasn't running a contractor company. Like if I'm paying a 1099 contractor and my kids are coming in, they got to be like independent contractors and your kids are probably not independent most of them. So that's, that's the way I look at some of that stuff. Um, you're going to get, there's a, there's a quiz on the um, IRS website. that can look at 1099 versus W2. And I would, I'd recommend going through those questions just to determine if your current staff is 1099 or W2 or your kids. All right, I'm going to keep rolling because I want to leave plenty of time for questions for you guys. Uh, retirement accounts. I believe in retirement accounts, even though I don't necessarily believe in the government. Uh, I have been waiting to talk more like more about the government in negative light until I retire from the military. I have like four months left. So after that happens, you are going to hear me like start unloading um, in, in social media and, and everything that we do. But I, I, I do like the structure of retirement accounts because they give me a lot of tax benefit and my money can grow tax-free in Roth accounts, which is really beneficial. So I've used IRAs my entire life, uh, 401k, so solo 401ks and safe harbor 401ks um, to basically fill up um, retirement accounts, either tax-free or tax-deferred. Um, depending on your age and some of the things that you're looking to do with it, it could be beneficial to you. It could might not be beneficial to you. I would encourage you to look into them. Um, but I use, I used a solo 401k when I started my business and I paid myself a salary high enough to allow me to put a, the full amount in my Roth and then have the company match my traditional and that traditional company match. I was able to write all that off against my taxes. And so there's a huge benefit to that inside of your uh, 401k where you can have, what I did basically was I, it would allow me to pull a bunch of money out of my business and move it over to my retirement account that also reduced my tax burden against the business. And then when I got really smart and started writing off more money on my taxes than I was making, I was able to convert that traditional to a Roth and never pay tax on it. So a little bit more advanced strategy, but if you're in a low tax bracket or in a negative tax situation one year, maybe you did a ton of bonus depreciation or like me, I bought an airplane. The airplane cost $2.7 million. This year I got a $2.7 million write-off and I converted a ton of my traditional 401k money over to Roth, which is a taxable event, right? I would normally have to pay tax on it. If I was in the 25% tax bracket, I'd be paying 25% tax on it. But since I'm in the 0% tax bracket, there's no tax. And now it's all in my Roth account and I can go grow it tax-free for the rest of my life. So that's the benefit of making sound tax decisions now and kicking the can down the road in the future. So I got the write-off three years ago, four years ago, two years ago. And then this year I took advantage of it by converting it. I've done that the last two or three years when I've had zero tax, like negative tax return. And then I'm able to take that forward. So that's the, that's the strategy piece, right? I'm like, how can I get into a negative situation so that I can convert this money? And, and you have to actually have the, know how much you make towards the end of the year and then say, convert it. So on December you know, 29th, 30th, I, I ran an analysis and I knew I was going to have like a $200,000 loss that year, last year. And I converted $200,000 to get me right up to zero. So I was able, does that make sense? I was able to convert traditional money into Roth without ever having to pay taxes on it which is really cool stuff. And now I can take that Roth IRA and blow it up for the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years, and then distribute tax-free. So the retirement accounts, very powerful. I would at the very least encourage you to build your Roth IRA. 
It's really easy to do. You can self-direct it into real estate. You can put it where you want it. Um, if it wasn't for self-directed IRAs and 401ks, I, I wouldn't be talking about it right now. I, I don't encourage you guys to put it in the market. Um, the downside is, so here's the downside of these. You can't use them in your business really. So you're going to have to use them somewhere else. That's why I like whole life insurance with paid up additions, like the infinite banking better. If you're going to be putting a lot of money aside for something, I like that better because it gives you $5 million in life insurance and you can use it inside your business all the time. So that's kind of my, I lean more towards that for a lot of you guys that are younger that are looking to use more money as a lot. You don't want to, you don't want to lock up all your cash into a retirement account that you can't use for your business. Uh, but if you have excess cash, that's where I would be putting it. Um, health savings account kind of falls in the same bucket, HSAs. You can deduct a lot of the HSA stuff and, and pay if you have a high deductible insurance plan. So I haven't had a high deductible insurance plan being in the military for my whole life. So I don't know a ton about it. Andy McFarland's a great person and some other people might be in HSAs here. And um, But you can you can buy some really cool stuff inside your HSA with more tax-free type money. Um, I talked about R&D credits. Okay, I'm gonna talk about some other things really fast and then I'll open up for questions. So I talked about conversions from traditional raw. The Augusta rule, I talked about that uh, the past couple of years. You might've heard of it as like, I can rent my house out, my business can rent my house and pay me and I don't pay taxes on it. It's called the Augusta rule. It's a really called section 280A. Um, but a lot of people call it the Augusta rule. You can Google Augusta rule, but effectively if you have like an Airbnb or a house or uh, something like that, your business can do like um, business meetings there or things like that and pay a reasonable rent for it for the day. So like don't rent your house to your business for like $10,000 a day. If you live in a three bedroom, two bath, 1500 square foot house, like you really can't justify $10,000 a day to rent that house. Now, if Spencer rented out one of his Airbnbs from his business, that rents for like $10,000 a day, then it makes sense. You can do that. Or you can classify it like a wedding venue or something like that. Then you can, you can rent it out. Um, the other thing is if you look at like what rate you could get as, this is, a, this is a little bit of a hack for this. There are websites that have like gig rentals for like photographs and things like that. Like influencers now are like renting these houses and doing like photo shoots there. Like, can you imagine like how much a Mr. Beast would pay to rent your house and like fill it with slime? So if you can justify some of that stuff with the amount that you're charging your business, then you can back it up. I look at everything as like, what am I going to do? What's the risk that it's going to be for the IRS to come after me? And then what kind of documentation am I going to need if they knock on my door? So that's kind of where I lean to is let me figure out how to defend myself. And if I can justify to myself that I can defend myself with, and then I'll document it to the point that, that I'll need it. Um, and just between us, some of the, um, some of the things that I do, I know I don't document regularly, but they're easy to document if, if I have to justify what's going on. So uh, I would track it. I put it in your calendar, all these things. Um, quickly, I want to talk about business trips. Uh, actually I'll leave that till the end. I'm going to write that at the end. Um, uh, okay. Residency really quickly. I want to talk about residency. If any of you are like young or you're willing to move, uh, Puerto Rico is probably the hands down the best place to move to right now to live there for 51 or more percent of the year. If you're a high income earner and you really want to offset your taxes, there's a lot of people that make a ton of money and they move to Puerto Rico. So if that's, I just want to put that, like plant that seed. If you're not like, if you can do whatever you do from anywhere, if you're virtually flipping and wholesaling and these kind of things, uh, could be something to look into. I just looked at residency. The other side of that is where do you live? Like what state do you live in? Are you paying high state income tax? Are you paying like franchise and excise tax? Like I was talking about, what's the benefit of where you live? Do you, I live in a state that has no state, state tax. Um, what does that look like? And then coming up with a strategy for that, for you of how you can benefit. So just looking at residency uh, alone, um, it would be important. Um, if you get into like really right, wanting to write things off, there's oil and gas oil and gas um, strategy, there's conservation easements and there's ATM machines. Um, all of these are like really highly depreciable. So there's not like a lot of asset that comes with it in the back end. So I wouldn't start looking into those things until you're making like probably like a million bucks a year or more. 
of kind of taxable income, those kind of things to just start. Like most of these people are parking money. They're just putting money. They have extra cash they're going to put over there for a tax write-off that they're like never really going to see back or it's a one-to-one exchange. You guys have way more opportunities to invest in your business, I think. Um, Quickly, tax loss harvesting. So tax loss harvesting is like, if you're in the stock market, so if you guys still have money in the stock market and the stock market goes down like it is right now, you can sell one stock and for a loss. Maybe you have a loss in that stock. You can sell it and you can buy something else that's similar. So it, it can't be exactly the same. You can't just buy a stock and then buy another one, but you could sell. And, and it doesn't really work with like Apple. Like, But if, you, if you're in like index funds, so I used to do this all the time when I was in index funds. So I go to Vanguard and I might sell like the total market index and I would buy another index that's very similarly weighted, but it's different. So I'd harvest uh, like $5,000 in loss if the stock market was down. And then I buy another index that is basically at the same basis. So I get a $5,000 loss and it's going to be a long-term investment for me in the stock market. So tax loss harvesting. Um, The other thing right now, you guys are looking at inventory. If you're going to sell your house for a loss anyway, do it before Christmas. Like sell your house for a loss, accept the loss, take the loss, benefit on my taxes right now and move on and go make a ton more money in 2023. Um, otherwise you're gonna sell it for a loss in January. And, or I would suspect if you're if you're gonna sell it for a loss now, you're probably gonna sell it for a loss in January. So just move it. If it's $5,000, look at, okay, well, hey, that's a tax benefit for me. I'm actually only half of that I'm really losing and move on and, and, and buy more houses and make more money. Um, yeah, there's a wash sale rule. So that's what you gotta be careful of, Kyle, exactly right. Um, so you got to buy something else that they're they're not saying is the is is very in like like kind um, item. So I might go from like total stock market to international, or I might go from total stock to to I wouldn't buy like another uh, total stock market index that looks just has a different identifier. So I would I would it's got to be something that is not like 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 kind exchange basically. Um, and you can do the same thing with gains, by the way. So what I did with my tax gains, I basically like tax gain harvested in my uh, my 401k. A little bit different, but let's say you have a loss, you're writing a loss off this year. You might wanna go harvest the gains this year to offset that loss. So you might sell something high, harvest the gain, so you don't pay tax on that gain. And then you move into the next year with a, a new basis on something. So you can actually do the same thing in the opposite direction. Um, 1031 exchanges are the last thing that I have on my list. I. I didn't, I don't usually talk about them because I don't really love them uh, because bonus appreciation has been so great. So when I sell something, I always take that money and just invest it in something else for the depreciation. So let's use an example. Let's say I made $100,000 in apartment building. So I invested 100 and I made 100 in apartment building, right? So I get 200 back. So I have a choice to 1031 that thing or I just invest all $200,000 in the next apartment building and I get my 50% depreciation and I write off $100,000. If I did a 1031, I would 1031 my $100,000 over to another building and not have to pay tax on my $100,000. So in this case, I'm doing the same thing with 100% bonus depreciation. Now, the reason why I'm bringing it up now is it probably becomes more effective down the road now that we're going next year. So this is a last year of 100% bonus depreciation. Next year, we go to 80% bonus depreciation then 60%, then 40%, then 20%, then zero. What that means is if you invest $100,000 in a syndication right now, you and you get $50,000 depreciation, bonus depreciation, it means you can use 100% of that. Next year, you'll only be able to use $40,000 of that 50K. The year after that, you'll be able to use 30, then 20, then 10, then zero, unless they change something. So right now, all of your cost segregation that, that on your rental properties up to December 31st, is at 100% of the bonus depreciation that you write off, you get to capture. Starting January 1st, it'll be 80% of that. And then next year, the year after 60%, that makes sense. You just go down um, and that's the plan. I think that, I hope that they're gonna change that, um, but I don't know. Okay, the last thing that I wanna talk about is kind of business trips, those kind of things are really important. So um, I've got people reach out. I made a post recently of this eight-figure entrepreneur group and I had a guy, a real smart guy message me. He goes, I'm interested in this. And I, I said, okay, let, let me just finalize all the, 
all the dates and everything. I'm about to launch it. I'll get back to you. He goes, good. I'm planning for next year. So I knew he's like, now's the time to plan for next year. So what he's doing is he's looking for a mastermind group to join such that he can, he can pay in full to offset his, his uh, income. So basically what he's doing is income shifting. He wants to give me 50 or $100,000 so he doesn't have to pay tax on it. And I do. So you guys do the same thing in your business. Think about that. So I've talked about in the past, um, a lot of people come into uh, to our program in October at Flip Hacking Live and they have 90 days to pay in full. So what you guys should be looking at is look at your cash flow, look at your structure and decide whether you want to income shift to someone else. It, like seven, like I usually say this tongue in cheek because if you pay in full to us to save a discount, I pay more taxes, you pay less taxes. If you do it in January, then I have a whole nother year to pay taxes on the money that you give me. And so that's anything in your business. If you look at it, like what we used to do is we used to prepay for marketing for postcards. I would call Joe and I'd be like, hey, Joe, can I pay you $40,000 this month to buy a certain number of drops in the future? And I get credits and I do that on December 30th. So now Joe has to pay taxes on my $40,000 and I get to write off $40,000. I'm going to pay, I'm going to buy them in January anyway. Why not buy them in December? Sometimes I look at my employees and my staffing and I say, hey, can I move that January 2nd payroll into December 30th so that my employees have to pay tax on that money, but I get the write off of, I'm going to pay them on January 2nd anyway. And so kind of looking at that and structuring that is important for you, what you can do right now at the end of the year. So that means subscriptions, that means uh, masterminds, that means uh, um, um, professional development, maybe you buy your Flip Hacking Live tickets, you buy a ticket to an event, you book travel, some of that stuff that kind of comes out of pocket, you figure out how to pay for that now. Maybe you're going, uh, what do we have? We have like the, I, I, I don't know if you can buy the, the trip to Cancun, like you can pay for your Mexico trip in December, but here's what it does. You get the depreci- you get the reduction in your taxes by April 15th, 2023, instead of April 15th, 2024. Or if you're like a lot of people in this group, October 15th, 2023, instead of October 15th, 2024. So anything that you buy in January 1st, you don't realize that tax benefit until like a year and a half from now. Anything you do in December, you realize it in a couple months. So hopefully that makes sense for you. Um, again, it's all about just income shifting and how can I offset? And I look at my PL each year and I'm like, all right, like I just bought uh, eight TVs for the office during um, Black Friday because I need them. I bought like eight, set four 75 inch TVs and like four 65 inch TVs for our like virtual studio here and stuff like that. Um, I'm looking at, I, I just joined a coaching program for YouTube I just joined a, uh, I, I hired somebody to do social media for me. I'm looking at accelerating payments for things. Um, I, uh, Russell's uh, mastermind group, I just made a huge payment on because I want him to pay tax and not me. Um, so I look at some of that stuff of like paying in full for things and buying things ahead of time and trips that I can plan and stuff like that. I want that stuff done and paid for in December 30, before December 31st that I'm going to do in January, February, March anyway. Like I paid for our, I have a mass, I have a mastermind in Cancun for Russell's group. I paid for all that stuff this month. So that's kind of how I look at things towards the end of the month is like income shifting um, where we talk about to the kids, but also like expense shifting. So before I open up for questions, I want to, I want to answer this question. It said, is it better to spend a bunch of money at the end of the year? And it's kind of what I just talked to. Um, only if you're going to spend it anyway. That's my answer. Like, don't go out and just be like, new computers for all the staff because we need tax re- reductions. Like, you don't get 100% reduction on your taxes for it. Okay? If you weren't going to buy that computer, now you've spent $2,000 on a computer that you might get like $800 in, in write-off on the taxes. And like, so you, you can write off all $2,000. You get $800 back in your pocket. That's a net two, $1,200 that you just bought somebody a new computer. So think of if I was going to buy it anyway, and I might buy it in January or February, I'd rather buy it in December. So that's like, for me, I'll probably buy a new computer. I'll probably buy a new phone. I'll probably buy some of this stuff to, to, because I'm probably going to buy it in January, February anyways. Usually like December is my, is my big technology 
swap? Do, what do we need new? I'm buying GoPros for the airplane YouTube channel and stuff like that that we're doing. I'm just, I'm going to buy it all in December. I'm not buying it in January, February, March. So I'm going to kind of plus up my stuff that I would buy anyway. So hopefully that makes sense. Don't spend money just to spend money. I always think about like the Seinfeld episode with Kramer and, and Jerry, and they're talking about like, but Jerry, it's a write-off. He goes, you don't even know what that is. He goes, yeah, but, but they like, they're the ones that are writing it off. Like, it's, it's just like, nobody understands when they say it's a write-off. It's like, they, they just, they don't get it. Don't spend money just to have a write-off. Like, don't go out to a really fancy restaurant that you wouldn't go to anyway, because it's a write-off. Like, just write off the stuff that you would normally and ordinarily buy all the time. Does it make sense? And figure out how to write off everything that you normally buy ordinarily and all the time. Figure out how that dinner can be a write-off. Figure out how, you know, how you can talk business. Figure out how your date night once a month or once a week with your spouse can be a write-off on your taxes. Figure out how to do all that stuff. Every business trip is combined with family. Like it's not a coincidence why I go on vacation every week after Flip Hacking Live. I do a vacation on the front. I do a vacation on the back because I can bump it all in and log it all as a business trip and business expense. And so combine business and, and, and personal the correct way and write it off on your taxes. All right. I've talked for a very long time and I didn't want to do that, but I always feel like there's way more to talk about and we should probably do this more often. So, All right. Tons of incredible information in that episode. If you want to get involved in calls like these, consider applying for our altitude program. You'll get to jump in, get answers to your specific questions, get one-on-one -on -one coaching with some of the top flippers and wholesalers in the nation and tons more. Go to sevenfigurealtitude.com for more info and have a great rest of your day.